the grill, the broiler, right, is a difficult beast to tame when you're doing something as thin as a wrap, right? So I've come up with what I think might be, it's maybe not news to some people, but to me, I feel like I've unlocked another dimension. Wait, you're, okay, that's that's the part where you're letting me jump in? <laughs> you have me enwrapped in, in now. Uh, I'm trying to understand what's even going on here. I'm picturing you making some kind of sandwich. I don't know. Right, I mean, for dinner tonight, I just thought, right, I need something quick. So I got a wrap, I cut up an avocado, and I put some cheese on top, and I thought, I just want the cheese melted just a little bit. But I, So I put it in the, the grill underneath the broiler, and the wrap was just turning black, but the cheese wasn't even melted, and I'm like, there's got to be a better way. So I reached for my trusty heat gun, basically a hairdryer, and melted the cheese with that. I was going to suggest that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it works. You know, It's one yeah. of those things you think, this shouldn't be working, but it is, and it's beautiful, and the cheese is crispy, uh, melted and bubbling away. And You know, it's not just for getting uh, sticky stuff off the wall or softening things up. It's for melting cheese, too. They're useful. Indeed. Yeah. So I told my sister about it, who was staying with us last week, and uh, she told me that it was against some kind of health and safety risk assessment thing. And I'm like, get out of town. It's just hot air. It's not an approved <laughs> device, Alex. Uh, so you now have no family living around? Are you family free? Just family free. But I did send my brother-in-law, uh, as of last year, uh, last summer, my new brother-in-law home with uh, an old D1 Mini ESP8266 device and a DHT11 temperature sensor and said, here you go, go and install ESP Home on this. He's a developer by trade, by the way. I'm not sending it to a complete normie. And uh, I got a nice picture tonight. He set up Home Assistant. He set up ESP Home. He soldered it all together and it's working. What a smart guy. Man, that's got to feel great. That's really, that's something neat to see, isn't it? And you didn't have to do much hand-holding, it sounds like. It sounds like he kind of just went off and did it on his own. None at all. And when does that ever happen? Especially with family. God. <laughs> <laughs> that's a bonus for sure right there. Wow. Well, so I was just, where I was getting to is I'm wondering when the family leaves, does Alex get down to projects? Because I'm looking at the doc today. I'm looking at our show doc that we put together, and I'm thinking... You've just like been collecting projects in the back of your mind while family's been visiting, and now it's go time. Yeah, well, the trouble with emigrating, and nobody tells you this before you do it, when you live on a different continent from your family, you don't see them for six months to a year at a time, and then they come and stay for, in this case, a week. But more often than not, when the mothers come, they come for three or four or five weeks, and I love my mom, I do, but that's a long time, you know? So you start accumulating these projects in the back of your mind you think well where mum goes home i'm going to do this and one of those projects that i've been putting off for a while is redoing my network so uh, i have ordered a metric boatload of ubiquity gear oh i'm gonna put my flak jacket on for that what's a boatload is that like more than three devices is it a dozen so as of right now i have no vlans I have no managed switches. It's a completely flat network. You know, we, we just roll with unmanaged switches here, baby. What is that, like some sort of house or something? I know. <laughs> I get a device, I plug it in, it just works, right? Until until it doesn't. And it, it this all started a few weeks ago with my OpenSense box. Do you remember when the NIC went out? Or at least I thought it did. Yeah. 
Well, the fancy new firewall box I ordered from AliExpress did the exact same thing this week. No. What's going on with my network? I have no idea because it's unmanaged. So, I have eventually convinced my brain to spend a lot of money, really a lot of money, on going for uh, a pair of USG... Uh, what are they? Switch Flex XGs or something? Unifies, uh, and a pair of twenty-four port PoE switches. So that's four switches, which are all in the sort of three, four, five hundred dollar range <laughs> uh, each. So, but the nice thing about them is that they're all ten gig switches. Well, the PoE ones aren't. The two Switch Flexes are. I'm finally going ten gig. This is so exciting. That's gonna really cook. You know, I know how you feel, though, because you know how I've had some Wi-Fi problems and I took a couple of different stabs at solving them and they weren't successful. And we both kind of concluded it's like, I just got to get an SDR kit and I've actually got to, like, really look at what's going on. Well, to really drive that point home and make matters worse, I've been really liking Graphene OS on my Pixel 7 Pro. One of the updates about a week ago, since that update, or at least since the reboot after that update, it cannot join my home Wi-Fi. Every other Wi-Fi network, I can. Absolutely just fine. I turned off the Mac randomization settings that Graphene OS has. That didn't fix it. Mm-hmm. My neighbor's Wi-Fi, fine. The studio Wi-Fi, fine. Go home, can't connect to the Wi-Fi. Well, that's annoying. Yeah. Don't know why. So, and it's like, and it's just, I feel like you just, like, I've got no tooling that tells me why. There's no log I can check. No. There's nothing I can do. There's nothing I can SSH into. And, you know, like, I've just got no tooling at all to, to troubleshoot it. It really is the worst. So let me paint you a picture of, of what happened when I woke up. I think it was on Sunday or Monday. Or anyway, it was a, I woke up first thing, 7 a.m., no internet, no Wi-Fi, nothing. And I'm like, oh, it's going to be one of those sorts of days. This is the third or fourth time it's happened in the last two weeks. Oh, boy, that's frustrating. So I was talking with a listener, Poverty Panda, on the Discord server, who actually happens to be a networking consultant by trade. And... He was sort of walking me through a few things I could try, like spanning trees and a bunch of other stuff to try and figure out what was going on. And we looked in the logs for OpenSense. Nothing really stood out. And bear in mind, OpenSense is a virtual machine at this point, running on that new firewall box with pass-through NICs. So then I looked at the Proxmox host. I looked in dMessage. Oh, look, there's an error message. Received a packet with the same source address as sender. That doesn't seem right. That doesn't seem right. No, absolutely. And so I thought, hmm, what can I do about this? I know, I'll just reboot the box. And the same thing came back. And I'm like, hmm, well, this is strange. You've been working mostly okay for the better part of a month or a month and a half. Yeah. And now suddenly you've decided to start telling me you've got basically got a duplicate MAC address on the network. And we'll come on to my new DHCP and DNS topic in a little bit as to how I know I Definitely don't have a duplicate MAC address on the network. But the upshot was that uh, I thought, right, hmm. my Proxmox cluster of four nodes, so I had my primary server, my backup server, my test, and now the firewall, I'd put them all in a Proxmox cluster because I thought, oh, that would be great. I can just manage it all for a single pane. Trouble is, when the network goes down, DHCP and DNS goes with it, and so a couple of those nodes weren't showing up. So my Proxmox quorum, my cluster quorum, was nuked. I had two out of four, and, and the cluster was losing its mind, even though it's not HA, even though 
I literally just wanted to see this, all the servers in one place. <laughs> the trouble was, so when I rebooted the firewall and the VMs wouldn't start, and I looked in the Proxmox logs and it says, the reason is no quorum. You can't, I can't establish quorum, so I'm not going to start your VMs. Well, obviously, without DHCP and DNS, you can't get quorum because it's a chicken and egg situation. So I thought, hmm, the only option I have now is to remove the firewall node from the Proxmox cluster. So I did that. I did PVE CM, cluster manager, Dell node, uh, name of my firewall. He goes, nope, you can't do this from the node that is uh, you're trying to remove. So I'm like, hmm. Well, okay, I'll go to the other node that is actually online and run the command from there. It went all the way through, got almost to the end and said, node removed and then said uh, an error with .temp file cannot be created. So obviously it's swapping out some Corusync file in the back end. Uh-huh. And the logic just didn't pick it up. Uh. So <laughs> what happened then was I was in some kind of really weird, uh, almost like a split brain situation where one node thought it was part of the cluster and another node didn't think it was. And then I reboot one and it comes back and I reboot one and it's not there. And I'm like, oh my God, what's going on? You're just a cluster. Just behave. Please do what I tell you. I just want my internet back. I've got to go to work in 10 minutes, you know. <laughs> yeah. Bear in mind, it's, just, it's not even 9 a.m. by this point. Oh, God. And so I thought, right, I know what I'm going to do. I'm just going to delete the Corusync files. I'm going to delete the node because uh, I found a post online that said you just delete the the PVE directory with the node definitions in. I'm like, great. That sounds easy. Do that. Uh, trouble was it deleted all the VM like configuration files. So I rebooted the firewall node and it was finally not part of a cluster anymore, but it had no VMs either. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, oh, jeez. And so I thought at this point, okay, funny man, let's just reinstall Proxmox, make sure this VM bridge issue with the, uh, the MAC address duplication is um, not something you've done with OpenSense or the DHCP or whatever completely fresh installed of Proxmox is doing the exact same thing. Oh, that's interesting. Interesting. Oh, frustrating. Yes. <laughs> frustrating. Yeah. And so I thought, hmm, I wonder if I, because this, this firewall node has four ports on it. Uh, I used uh, one for LAN, one for WAN as passed through to OpenSense. And then that leaves me two free to run Proxmox on and do whatever else. There's no link aggregation. There's no bonding. There's no crazy stuff going on. It's just a bog standard LAN port to LAN port and an unmanaged switch. It's about as basic as it gets, right? Mm -hmm. So I moved the cable from port one to port two, and it's been fine since Monday. What gives? <laughs> so then what do you think started this entire thing? Well, I don't know. If I knew that, we wouldn't be having this conversation. That's true, right? Yeah. Yeah. Boy, that's a whole series of things. It does make me think, it does make me think it might be worth having the DHCP and DNS its own little just dedicated small x86 box or something. Yeah, maybe. Tailscale.com slash SSH. Go there to get a free personal account for up to 20 devices forever. It's not a limited time deal. It's not a temporary thing. You get it for 20 devices. And Tailscale is a secure mesh VPN protected by WireGuard's noise protocol. You can get up and running your devices in minutes, and it creates a secure mesh network between all of your systems. And then they talk directly to each other, protected by WireGuard. 
It's so smooth. Even if you got complicated firewalls and carrier grade net and all these things that make VPN and remote access extremely difficult, Tailscale navigates all of that. And Tailscale also has a bunch of features that make accessing your devices just sort of second nature, like support for magic DNS. You can use name resolution. And one thing that I absolutely have come to rely on is Tailscale Send. It's kind of like AirDrop for all your devices. Your Android device and your Linux desktop, yep, Tailscale Send works between them. Really, really fantastic. And something Tailscale has just recently rolled out. I haven't played with it myself, but I wanted to tell you guys about it. They now have configuration auditing. So if anything changes in your Tailnet configuration or in that particular stack, you can now audit that inside the Tailscale dashboard. And even better, if this is how you prefer this kind of stuff, they're also making that audit log available via the API. So you can build your own tooling around it. It's so nice. It's so handy. I really think it's going to bring self-hosting to a whole new generation of users once everyday people start wrapping their head around Tailscale. It starts with us, right? It starts with us, the hardcore self-hosters. Once you get Tailscale up and running, you can have it set up like Alex and I do with no inbound firewall traffic anymore. It's all on our tailnet. And that just makes me a lot more confident about having my private data on those services. It's not public at all now. It's all on my tailnet. You're going to love it. Game changer. So go to tailscale.com slash self-host to get it for free for up to 20 machines and support the show. Tailscale.com slash self-hosted. You're a man that likes declarative configurations, right? I More and more I am, yes. I'm learning that about myself. It's a semi-recent discovery. <laughs> okay, good. Well, we can still be friends. That's okay then. All right. Some common ground there. <laughs> uh, I decided that I'm a bit bored of clicking through OpenSense's web UI whenever I want to add a new device to my network. You know, we talked about this previously. I do MAC address-based reservations for static IPs in my network. Yeah, it does feel like there is a point when the UI is just in your way and you just want to write it out to a file and have it execute and be done. I I was just having that conversation earlier this morning. Well, luckily for us, everything in Linux is a file, right? <laughs> that pesky OpenSense, though, is based on BSD. And actually, even further go back than that almost, it was based originally on PFSense, of course, and then Monowall before that. And so... Mm-hmm. OpenSense's configuration is all this one giant XML file, which makes actually configuring it programmatically through a declarative configuration or whatever else actually pretty difficult. You can back up that XML file, of course, but then if you want to use Ansible to configure a new MAC address, you have to resort to stuff like line-in file modules, which are notoriously unreliable using like regex and a bunch of other stuff that in practice, in, in theory, sounds good, but in practice is unreliable and, and doesn't actually put things where they should be. And then you end up with a broken XML file and it's just not a good state. And so for the longest time, I mean, genuinely, this I looked at the original code I wrote. It was May 2021 or something. <laughs> I've been wanting to do this and I was looking to do it with DHCPD. But uh, I was having a look at Pihole the other day, obviously show research. Mm-hmm and discovered that actually Pihole is just DNS mask with a pretty skin on it, pretty much. Yeah. And DNS mask is pretty easy to configure. There's, what, two or three files you have to configure, and you're off to the races. So for me, I thought, hmm, I could probably do something with this. 
and uh, lo and behold, a few hours of Ansible, yes, and I do mean hours, a few hours of Ansible later, I have a role, which I'll link to in the show notes. I'm, I'm most of the way through writing a blog post, writing this up as well. So maybe it'll be finished by Friday when this airs, maybe it won't. But I'll put a link to it in the show notes anyway, whatever state it's in, just so that there's something there as part of public record. But yeah, it's essentially, it allows me to configure not only my DNS entries via a file, but DNS Mask also supports running a DHCP server. On top of that, you can do TFTP servers. You can do so you can do things like network booting and all that kind of stuff uh, straight out of DNS Mask as well. Yeah, I uh, I'm really glad to hear that you're giving Pihole a try. I think I have a Pihole install that is about the age of the show. I think I installed it right around when we started the show, and it's still going strong. Wow, nice. I really like it. There are Home Assistant integrations as well because there is an API, so you can actually pull some of the stats into uh, Home Assistant from your Pihole if you if you care to like see how, how much stuff you've blocked in a day or whatever. But one of the nice things about the Pihole DNS and DHCP setup out of the box is it'll add the machine name to your local DNS records. So your your devices, when they get an IP address from your Pihole, from their DHCP server, they will get configured to use Pihole as their DNS, and they'll be able to name resolve the other systems on your network, which is really nice to just have that if you don't have that working right now. That's a real beginner step for self-hosting, but it's sort of a quintessential thing to get up and running, and Pihole makes it really easy. And you don't have to run it on a Raspberry Pi either, which... You know, the name kind of makes it sound like you do, but... That's a really important thing, and uh, it can put a lot of people off, but you can absolutely run Pi-hole on uh, an x86 box, or a lot of other architectures for that matter. Well, that's that's I, also why I like it a lot, too, is because it is basically just good old DNS mask, and it's nothing really strange about it. You could also just run it, I think, actually, how I'm... Now that I think about it, the way I'm doing it is I have... Uh, Raspbian, I think. I think it's like a Raspbian installer, whatever they call it, the Raspberry Pi OS, whatever. I can't remember. It's been so long. But then I think it's just running as a container on that on that Pi. So I'm running mine as an LXC on top of Proxmox right now, and this is on the firewall node. Um, and it, it seems to work just fine, you know, as an LXC. I mean, my other VM bridge back address related packet issues aside, which I don't know the uh, the origin of that issue yet. Uh, we should actually probably address American uh, Cosworth's question in the Discord, though, because this is what's going to come up. Uh, you were using AdGuard before, so why the change to uh, Pi-hole? Because p- people are going to want to know, what about AdGuard? Well, yeah, I mean, I've been using AdGuard Home as a, an OpenSense plugin for two or three years. We documented it in this show when I switched over to it. In the end, it was actually, I was about to spin up DNS Mask anyway as a separate thing and then forward all the requests from AdGuard Home to DNS Mask, and I'm like, hold on, isn't Pi-hole based? Something in the back of my mind told me, isn't Pi-hole based on DNS Mask? And I thought, well, okay, look, they're probably about as much of a muchness. The only thing that AdGuard Home really has going for it over Pi-hole are those little checkboxes to say disable Reddit, disable Facebook, Twitter, just those little checkboxes. But on the whole, it's been a largely transparent switch from you know, a, a user's perspective, like my DNS still works, it still blocks tracking links, it still does all the same stuff a DNS server should do. My one bit of feedback as a parent for Pi-hole, and I think AdGuard might do a better job at this, is I wish there was a way for me in the evening to just pull up the Pi-hole dashboard and just disable my children's tablets from 
basically just give them bogus DNS for the evening. Nothing resolves properly. Everything resolves to 127.001 or something like that. So their devices can't, they can't watch YouTube if they wake up in the middle of the night. That's evil. Right. But the flip side is, is I'm asleep. They, they wake up at like 1 a.m. and they can't sleep. So what do they do? They grab their iPad and they watch YouTube all night and they never go back to sleep. So I want to just disable their internet access or at least disable their DNS entirely for a scheduled period of time from like, say, from like 10 p.m. to 6 a.m. or something like that. I wonder if you couldn't do that just using the Ubiquiti software or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, yeah, I probably could there. I've been playing around a lot with that this week. And um, in, in particular, because I've been having a lot of Wi-Fi issues, which was another thing that led me to dumping a whole truckload of money on Unify's front doorstep this week. <laughs> That's where I feel like I can feel myself sliding. I can feel that. I know we talked about Unify and some of their business practices a little while ago and how they responded to certain things with, uh, I think it was Craig's, wasn't it, on security. But, um, you know, the the stuff I've been using, the access point that's up there is seven, eight years old. It's been working flawlessly since, ever since. Mm, that's good. The Wi-Fi itself has been remarkably good. Uh, I think I figured out what my Wi-Fi issue was. Uh, it's totally unrelated to the topic, which we'll come back to in a second, but... I was running Docker Wisebridge and I set it up just before Christmas for the first time in a long time. And I associated in my mind, it was the Christmas tree lights. And because my sister came last week, we had the Christmas tree lights. We left it, left it up so we could have a fake Christmas at the end of January with extra family. Oh, it's adorable. And we took the Christmas tree lights out and I was expecting all my Wi-Fi issues to go away and they didn't. Oh. <laughs> so after a few days, I started looking at network traffic through Unify and realized that it each wise camera and it's like i think it's four or five in the house was uploading like 15 gig a day <laughs> so no wonder i had no wi-fi bandwidth it's because the wise cams were just sucking it all down mm-hmm. that is definitely an issue i've i've thought about putting them on their own wi-fi network entirely except for then i would just have more wi-fi networks it's a it's a scale issue with those wise cameras for sure uh it'll crush a wi-fi network if you're not careful and we're going to go on a tangent from a tangent here, just just briefly. I ordered one of those POE things for the uh, the the wise firm where we talked about. I think it was last episode. Doesn't work. Can't get it to work. I can't get the firmware to be recognised on three of my wise cams that are on the correct firmware. Oh, really? And this POE device, I think, works. It powers the camera certainly, but never gets an IP address that isn't Wi-Fi. So. Yeah, I think I think if if I can't get those wises on Ethernet, I gotta go. I just. It's such a tricky situation in the RV where I don't even really have a wall or something, you know, it's really, but I would really like to have all of my cameras wired because every now and then it drops frames and that could be a, that could be a moment that is critical that you're trying to capture. And it's just not going to be a solid unless you can get it on wires. So Reolink this week had their RLC 520s on sale for about $33 each. So I bought six. Whoa. What did six? Oh, I thought the, that's not the doorbell. That's just the regular. Well, I bought the, the doorbell finally came in as well. That's what actually got me started looking at cameras again and, and fiddling around with Blue Iris. I mean, I am in full like multi-project mode right now. My, I just, my head hurts, honestly, trying to keep <laughs> up with it all. What you need is Brent and I to fly in. Wouldn't that be amazing if Brent and I could like suit up, fly in, and we'd just like work there for a week and get all this stuff banged out and we'd make like three shows on it and we'd fly out. The trouble is, Brent and I would spend all of our time down at the fire pit chopping wood, 
or doing anything other than fixing my Wi-Fi. <laughs> yeah, and I'd be trying to convince you to make us ribs again, so, you know. <laughs> anyway, to come back to the topic in hand, uh, we've got a couple on the go here right now, so I'll pick one. Uh, we haven't quite finished the DHCP one before I come onto the doorbell. So um, when you're writing an Ansible role, it's worth doing a few checks, right? So as part of the Ansible configuration, I've created a, a dictionary, uh, well, a list of dictionary items, effectively. In there is a MAC address, an IP address, and a host name. Those are the three things you really need to configure a host in uh, DHCP and DNS, right? Well, what happens if my fat fingers put the same IP address in twice or the, or the same MAC address twice? It quite often happens when I'm copying around in VS Code. I, I'll do the option shift down to duplicate the next line and then... Oh, I didn't remember to change the IP address. Oops. Mm. Or the host name is the same or whatever. And so with the help of a few people on our Discord, there's a, a link to this uh, blog post in the show notes, came up with a super, super elegant solution for checking for duplicate items in a list with Ansible. We wrote a custom filter, a custom Ansible filter in Python. <laughs> Great. We were trying to, honestly, there were four or five of us in the infra as code room some of the most experienced people on the server, by the way, trying to make this work in Ansible. So we wanted to look at each item in the list and compare it with every other item in the list and make sure it was unique. The trouble is, you'd think using a set theory filter like that would work. Unique is designed to take a list with duplicate items and just completely discard these as duplicates. The trouble is, it discards the duplicates. It doesn't say there are duplicates. It just gets rid of them. Okay. <laughs> And then you think, okay, there's another one called difference. And it compares two lists. Both sides of that comparison end up being the same because you're trying to compare a unique list to a list that has all the duplicates in. Well, actually, they're different lengths, but they actually contain the same information. So that doesn't work either. And after maybe three or four hours of going back and forth on Discord, trying to get all these mega brains to figure this out, <laughs> someone linked me to a post on, I think it was Stack Overflow, that said, why don't you just copy-paste this uh, custom Python filter? And in maybe 12 or 14 lines of Python, we did everything we wanted. I wrote a custom Ansible filter, and it's all the details are in the blog post in the show notes. But <laughs> this actually speaks to something that I want to, I've been wanting to get off my chest about Ansible for a little while, mm. and YAML in general. It's not a programming language. We try to make it into one, but it's not. Python is. Go do the clever stuff in Python. And this is a message to future Alex as well, not just listeners. Use the proper tools for the job and you'll have a better time. Here, here. That's a really nice solution too, right? Because like you said, it's what, 14 lines? So clearly that's the better place to do that work anyways. <laughs> just really simple. That's going to be a lot easier to maintain. That's, that's fantastic. And so in the end, I've ended up with a really slick system. So when I when I enter a new MAC address or a new IP or a new host or whatever, I run it through the Ansible playbook. It then checks for duplicates every time I run it. Uh, it takes maybe five or 10 seconds to do that at most. It doesn't take long at all. And then it goes and uses the Ginger templating engine as part of Ansible to go and replace those files on the host, uh, on the PyHole host, and then restarts the DNS mask services that's required, the PyHole services, uh, and so within about 15 to 20 seconds of pressing go, my DNS has been updated, my DHC pieces have been deleted, so that uh, when a client comes in, it will make sure it gets the new address, not a cached address. It's so slick. If I do say so myself. That is really cool. 
That is really cool. And I suppose the Pi-hole UI, like if you wanted to go look at the Pi-hole dashboard, it would just reflect the changes from from underneath. And so you could even still have that UI on top. I, I don't even touch it. Right. But you could, could. which is great. It doesn't break it, which is nice. Uh, that is really cool, Alex. Nice fix. Also nod to the Discord for Absolutely. the gigabrains in there. And you can do fun stuff like, I mean, I've got, um, this is getting a little bit beyond the scope of, of this discussion and maybe one for a future time. But you can do stuff like use that information in that DHCP reservations list to populate things like a caddy file or an Nginx file or a traffic file, for example. And so I've basically ended up with a way of doing a few custom DNS overrides, which I'll detail in the blog post that haven't quite finished yet. And so I'm able to actually not only use the host names as a DNS entry for that uh, IP address, just automatically, I could give it a custom one and then point that the custom override to caddy and then proxy that through us. Just it's what it's everything I've been dreaming of. <laughs> I'm so happy right now. Lino.com slash SSH. That's where you go to get a hundred dollars in 60 day credit on a new account. And it's a great way to support the show while you're checking out what I think is the absolute best in cloud hosting. If you like to build it yourself, or maybe you just want to take it easy this one time and just click a, button and have it deploy an entire stack for you linode has excellent options which either way you want to go if you've been doing it for 20 years or it's your first server you've ever deployed they managed to strike that balance and i'm happy to report the performance is freaking incredible and it's not just me saying that their cloud spectator has done independent surveys to verify this linode really is screaming fast because they've got PCIe MVME storage they got amd epic cpus if you want it they've also got budget systems if you just need like a a small blog or a portfolio. Maybe you got a little family gallery for an event. You could do a nanode. I mean, you get a hundred bucks though. So I, I really encourage you to kick the tires. That's what Linode wants you to do. That's why they're giving you the hundred bucks. They know that if you try it, see what we've been talking about, you're going to like it because so many JB listeners do just that. And Linode just announced that they are the finalist in the 17th annual Stevie Awards for customer service training and coaching of the year. And also for customer service department of the year. Congratulations, Linode and the support team. You guys crush it. And that's one of the things Linode does differently. They architected their business differently. It had to be actually good. <laughs> I know that sounds wild. It should always work like that, but it doesn't. Sometimes, you know, um, people get together, they get some big finances and they think we could get into this market and they just dump a bunch of money into it and they just spin up a bunch of stuff and they're not serious about it. That's not Linode. And that's one of the reasons, one of the big reasons I trust running my business infrastructure on this. Right, this, is, this is a long-term business for me. And I don't want to have to move my stuff every couple of years or even once a year. And I don't want to have to worry about security and stability and performance or support when I need it. I want it to work like a rock and I want it to run great. And that's Linode. And Linode's rolling out great features all the time too. So I'm always kind of augmenting my setup and making it better, taking advantage of things and kind of improving the design. It's really cool. So go try it for yourself. For the best customer support, super fast rigs, great networking, and a Linux culture that runs deep, those are some of the reasons I choose Linode, but I bet you can find a whole bunch of your own when you get that 100 bucks. So go put it over the top, get that $100, and support the show. Go to linode.com slash SSH. That's linode.com slash SSH. Knock, knock. Who's there, Alex? Rio Link. A new doorbell, huh? A wired doorbell, no less. Rio Link who? 
Oh, right. Sorry. Real Link who, Alex? Real Link, you glad I'm talking about this? No? Yeah, no, I'm Real Link glad. I stayed up all night thinking of that. You don't think it's funny? <laughs> it's not as funny as the journey to get there was, but <laughs> I, yeah. <laughs> so I placed a pre-order for this Rio Link POE. It's one of the only POE doorbells on the market that I'm aware of. Uh, it cost me about $80 and took about six weeks to come in. Uh, so I went on Amazon just before the show to check whether they were in stock or not. And of course, they're sold out. Hooray. Oh. So I'm sorry, you probably can't buy one right now. But let me just tell you, I'm replacing the Wi-Fi-based EasyViz doorbell that I uh, talked about with Morgan on the show years ago, a couple of years. It's worked fine. It worked about as well as you might expect a Wi-Fi camera to work. Most of the time, it's fine. The frame rate sometimes is good, sometimes it's not good. You know, it's it's okay. This thing, though, the RioLink Video Doorbell POE Smart Wire Doorbell with Chime. Heyo. This is the ticket. This is the badger right here. I mean, the the B, the uh, POE being built in, that's a game changer, right? Because you're getting the power to it, and, of course, it's going to be wired. I'm really, really jealous of this one, and the design looks so slick and simple. It just basically pop open the back, click in the Ethernet, mount it on the wall. POE is just the way everything should be powered in the house. I mean, I can't believe there's enough people that have Ethernet ran to their front door that there's enough a big enough market to justify the manufacturing of this product. But turns out there is. I was drilling holes in my house and crawling around in my crawl space uh, this weekend and found some uh, questionable bits of rust underneath my porch that I'm probably going to have to address. But hey, <laughs> at least I found out before the concrete collapsed yeah. through. So yeah, yeah. But yeah, I mean, in America, it's pretty easy to run Ethernet. You know, you just drill a hole and then poke it through and fish it. And, you know, you've got crawl spaces generally. I think, um, you know, if your house is built on a slab, a concrete pad or something, you're going to have a harder time. But luckily, my house has got a little crawl space underneath and a, an attic above. So I can get to the and get it get to it from both sides. But I really like this doorbell. Uh, it works with OnVIF, which is important. It works with RTSP. Oh, man. So it plugs right into my Blue Iris setup. Uh, you have to en enable a couple of things in the uh, firmware of the doorbell to switch those things on. They're not on by default. And then um, it it just works. It's really boring. It it just works. And I mean, what else can you say? I'm curious to know what your thoughts are on the optics quality, you know, picture quality good. Really, really good. I was um, watching the Amazon man come down my driveway earlier and he had a, a plastic bag in his hand and I could actually see the wind blowing the plastic bag. The frame rate was so good. It's like 20 frames a second or something. Man, that's sweet. Which compared to my old doorbell is a lot better. I've got it. I've got to get wired cameras. I've got to do it. Yeah. Got to do it. It's so sweet. And to have it on the doorbell, that's, that's, a, that's a nice feature now. Um, What's the like the app setup cloud story? Like do you are you like is it a cloud DVR thing? How is that working? Well, I don't pay too much attention to that when I buy a camera as long as it's got OnVIF and RTSP. However, when I'm setting up these cameras, it's actually quite helpful that RealLink has an app that is cloud connected. So as soon as the cameras come online on your LAN and you um you go to the IP address and you set them up, uh, they then appear in the app and they ask you to go through either an initial setup process if you haven't already and set a password or to enter the password that you set up. And then you can actually view them over cellular or anything else. And it, it's pretty transparent, but they also work completely offline and completely locally. So 
if you wanted to black hole them in a VLAN or, or do something like that to stop the app working that way, you could do. But the nice thing about the app is it gives me notifications to say, hey, person detected at the door, which is pretty handy. Mm-hmm. Now, I haven't gotten into it too much with Blue Iris, but I, I, I believe you can set up 10 or 15 second gifts to be sent to your phone as part of the Blue Iris app, as part of the notifications that are built into its uh, AI stuff. I haven't got there yet, but uh, I will do. Well, that's a great update, and uh, we'll have a link in the notes, but it looks like it's unavailable at the moment. But hopefully the sales will be strong, and they'll continue this product line, because I'd love to see all these types of stuffs go completely wired. You know, I'd love to see more manufacturers embracing that. More wires is more better. Uh, we always mention the Discord here on the uh, the pod, because uh, selfhost.show slash Discord is a quick, easy way to join the ever-growing self-hosted Discord community that's always popping. But we also have a Matrix chat, if uh, the Matrix is more your style. And the thing I wanted to mention, because I don't think I mentioned it last time, and I'm probably only going to mention it once, is we've created a jobs room for people that have jobs that are looking to hire and for people that are looking for work. And uh, we just kind of figured that if you're a member of this community, it's probably going to be pretty good signal. So you can go to bit.ly slash jupiterjobs if you're looking for something in the tech industry. It's been pretty successful so far. So bit.ly slash Jupiter Jobs, or you can, if you're already in our matrix area, you can just find it, you know, there's a space. In our show notes, you um, you put JB Jobs. That actually goes to a JetBlue recruitment website. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. So oh, it's made- Jupiter Jobs. It's not JB, it's Jupiter. J- it's bit.ly slash Jupiter Jobs, I think. Thank yeah, you. okay. Make sure that's the one you go to. <laughs> I wonder how long I've been saying the other one. Oh, I should have checked. You know, <laughs> I got brain fog. Uh, well, JetBlue actually says uh, 404, oops, page not found. So it's not a, it's not a JetBlue one. It's still funny, though. I, like, I don't even really know how to talk about Matrix still, because like, what I maybe should do is just send people to there's a Jupiter Broadcasting space that has all our rooms listed, and you'd find it there. I don't know. You know? Maybe. Um, all right, well, let's get into some messages that came into the show, including from Mofata, who sent in 55,555 sats and says, guys, thanks for the great show. I love how the value for value works with podcasting 2.0. Even though it might be privacy concerning, I wish there was a way I could monitor what apps I use on my Linux box and then just donate sats automatically to each related open source project. For now, I'll just use the separate payment uh, options for each project. Cheers. So I want to, you know, mention... I really do. I really do think there's a serious situation in free software. Like all this stuff we all use, all has these like really serious funding problems for the most part. Some projects are fortunate and they don't have those problems. But Matrix is an example of a project that's currently experiencing critical funding issues and they've had to do some layoffs. We always hear about these critical components to the security stack that end up being vulnerable that cause like these industry wide vulnerabilities. And then it turns out it was like two developers and they never got paid for their work. And as somebody who's tried to donate to open source developers, there is a massive issue when you're trying to donate to anybody who's outside the United States who can't do PayPal. It like, it gets more and more confusing and complex. And a lot of developers don't accept PayPal for moral reasons. And it's just so hard to give developers money. You'd think it'd be easy. And it does seem like, there is a simpler way to do it with technology. So I hope we get there one day. My goodness. Uh, we're doing just a top four when uh, we do long episodes. So thank you, everybody who does boost in. But our next boost came from JJ Style with 10,000 sats. Hello, guys. Medium time listeners. Been a few years. I finally parted ways with AntennaPod so I can start boosting in more. 
and I've got a question regarding databases and self-hosting. Do you tend to use MySQL or Postgres for all your services or stick with SQLite? As I am the only user of my services, SQLite performs well, backups are easy, but I'm considering swapping things over to Postgres, probably one instance with a database per app rather than a new instance every app. Thanks for all the great shows. What do you think, Alex? I think we've talked about this in a broader sense before, you know, the one database per app approach or one big database with lots of apps feeding into it, typically with MySQL. Yeah. But I mean, it really depends on the application. You can't, in my opinion anyway, pick just one database technology and expect every app under the sun to work with your choice of database, whether it's Postgres, whether it's MariaDB, SQLite, whatever it is, right? Each app's going to be written slightly differently and it might work better with a different version of Postgres to a different... Yeah, it's not like a one-size-fits-all database thing. So then you end up with multiple versions of database software anyways, and you've kind of just created a different problem where now you're maintaining things that are separate and you're kind of having to sometimes modify the applications you deploy so they'll use your centralized database. The important thing really is to separate the application, the runtime, from the data it's storing. So... You know, if you're using Docker, for example, uh, make sure you've got those volumes stored somewhere separately, not just as inside the container so they're not ephemeral. And then back those volumes up somehow so that whatever happens, you're a lot less stressed about it. Yeah, and I think he also touched on the other thing there too. He's the only user of his services and SQLite is performing well and backups are easy. I mean, that's a pretty great spot to be in, man. If that's if that's working for you, <laughs> jealous. Just consider that. Just consider. I mean, yes, it is nice to also kind of continue to push it forward. So, if that's what you really want to do, just to learn, then do it. My audiobook server went down for half an hour earlier. I got three texts. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Legit Savage comes in with five thousand sets. I've been using Jellyfin for a year now. At this moment, I'm in a hotel room watching media from my Jellyfin server from the other side of the state on my Steam Deck and a dock, and it's all over tail scale. I honestly can't tell a difference in performance from sitting at home watching on my shield. My one gig symmetrical connection ugh, bastard. Uh, at home is likely part of that. Ugh, ugh, savage. Legit, or legit salvage. That's legit savage right there, salvage. Uh, this is my first travel use of Jellyfin, but it's solidified as my choice of media server. Well, did you see that uh, we beat Linus to the punch? Yeah. Oh, yes, yes. Obviously, because of our coverage, Linus decided to make. Clearly, clearly. It, yeah. wasn't, well, it wasn't a comment that Linus offhand made in Wan Show that made me think about it, that then <laughs> took him six <laughs> weeks to make a video. No, that's not what happened at all, people. No, no, no. no. I, I really like the idea of putting TailScale on the Steam Deck and, and uh, putting Jellyfin on there. I didn't know you could put TailScale on the Steam Deck. I'm going to have to look into that because that sounds like an awesome room. I mean, that's, it's obvious. I don't know why I hadn't thought of it either. But of course, of course you could. Temporarily, right? But it's it, it overwrites the whole OS every update. Well, that, mm, yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you could, maybe, I think user storage is persistence. Maybe you could actually just put it in your home directory and just run it there. Yeah, I'll just throw it on the SD card, right? Yeah, that'll yeah. be fine. <laughs> All right, and uh, our last boost, thank you everybody who did boost in, uh, but the last one that made the cut this week comes in from W4TSON. Oh, uh, I bet that's uh, maybe Watson? What do you think? Maybe that's like a yeah. legit way to, yeah. That's All right, answer. Watson comes in with 5,000 sats. Hey, guys, first-time booster from Down Under. I listen to Lup as well, but I wanted to boost the less love self-hosted. Hey, self-hosted gets the love. We just are doing the top four boosts. Uh, we do appreciate it. 
He says, but I have to say, I switched from Fountain specifically for JB. And I, I haven't been very impressed with how it handles episode downloads and playback, but I listen exclusively in the car. And CarPlay is essential for me, making it difficult to come to terms with some of these problems, but I'm sticking with it for now so I can boost in whenever I earn. Make sure you organize a road trip down here sometime. Wouldn't that be awesome? You know, uh, Watson, I sometimes find Fountain to be buggy too. Uh, you can uh, you can just use Albi and use whatever uh, podcast app you like and then just boost in from the Podcast Index website or try out Podverse. I like that one because I think they're all great apps, but Podverse is open source and it's cross OS. They don't have CarPlay yet, but I have I have a sense they might be working on it. So could be something to keep an eye on. Newpodcastapps.com if you want to check out some of these. Thank you, everybody who did boost in. We read all of them and uh, they always make me smile too. I uh, <laughs> I have a dashboard at home in Jupes uh, and it makes a little pew noise and uh, I left the speaker on. <laughs> So Hadia was sick the other day and she was out in the living room and the boost pew, pew, pew starts coming. And she's like, what is that? <laughs> so she turns on the screen and she read them. Yeah, she didn't mind. Uh, but we love them. So thank you everybody who sends them in. I'll, uh, one of these days I'll sneak down. I'll put one up on Alex's bed somewhere in his bedroom. Just pew somewhere. You're going to sneak into my bedroom pew. now. Oh, I like, I don't already. And I'll put a little <laughs> speaker in there, you know, Alex, you know, with a little Alex Chris, you know, and you'd be like, what was that? Hey, with my new DHCP setup, I'd know if you were here. That's true. Shoot. You wouldn't get any Wi-Fi anymore. I'd just blacklist your... Oh, wait, you randomize your MAC address. No, wait, you don't. I'm willing to invest in an LTE connection for this. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I can't do much oh, about man. that, can I? Oh, yeah, no. Hey, should I mention... I should mention. I will mention for, like, a limited time, and for, my God, the very last time, the Coder Robes back for celebrating Coder 500 along with a Tumblr and a die cut sticker. I'm never doing this robe again. It's uh, for sale until supplies are out. And if you're outside the U S you might want to consider a sticker or tumbler because the shipping could get kind of high, but robe, it's a great robe. If you want a robe, I'm letting you know, because this is a beloved item. People didn't get one last time. So jupitergarage.com. 500 episodes of Coda radio. My God. I remember when that was at like number 60 or something. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and you mm-hmm. had the uh what they called back then the docker founders before it was docker oh yeah um i cannot remember yeah before it was even called docker we had them on the show to talk about this crazy thing they were working on it was like dot compute or something something dot cloud maybe yeah maybe yeah it might have been dot cloud yeah it's been so long i've forgotten what docker was called before docker but yeah crazy time Crazy, crazy time. And that whole Zamarian thing. I was thinking about that the other day, how funny it is. <laughs> how it just Chrissy's brain just makes words up. Like it's obviously Zamarin. Yeah, it's Zamarian. No, no, it's, I think it's Zamarian. Pretty sure it's Zamarian. I've been wanting to put your chain on that for a long time. So here we go. <laughs> if you'd like to grab yourself some swag. Also, you know what's still up there is uh there is a uh, self, look at that right there. Self hosted uh, sticker up there still too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just saying. Also, thank you to our members. You can become a member at selfhost.show slash SRE. And as a thank you, we give you an ad-free version of the show. Selfhosted.show slash SRE. Well, you lovely people, until the next episode, you can go to selfhosted.show slash contact to find all the different ways to get in touch with us. Yeah, and of course you can find links to everything we talked about. That's at selfhosted.show slash nine zero. <laughs> 